So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that one or two heroic actions in our lives do not sum up the contribution of what we make to the kingdom of God. Because if that were the case, then our everyday lives would be without meaning and purpose. We talked about how we need to find a way to become hidden heroes in our everyday lives. And we we talked about vicissitudes. And a vicissitude is a change of circumstances or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. In other words, it's a traffic jam or a power cut or a fuel queue. And we said it's in those everyday vicissitudes of life that God forms us into hidden heroes. And if we respond heroically to everyday trials, then our ordinary daily lives um, become meaningful and they contribute to God's glory. David was formed as a hidden hero before he became a public hero. And we studied the Ziklag affair to learn how David had trained himself as a hidden hero. Um, When he was faced with a vicissitude, he did four things. He processed his emotions. Remember, we talked about how emotions can either be a problem or they can help us to process what we're going through. He processed his emotions. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, and then he participated in the work that God was already doing. It's always good for us to remember that, isn't it? That God is at work. It doesn't all rest on us. We simply need to come in line with what he's doing and work with him. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on the life of another hidden hero, a man whose example will help us to become the everyday hidden heroes that God wants us to become. And his nickname, I love his nickname, was Son of Encouragement. I just have to say, folks, that in Zimbabwe today, if we want to hold out a light for the gospel, if we want to be a light for God, then we need to learn how to become sons and daughters of encouragement because people desperately need encouragement at this time in Zimbabwe. And if we can be the kind of people who learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord and through our example and our words extend that encouragement to other people, then we are going to become the transformational church that we want to be. Wonderful. Barnabas, also known as son of encouragement. Look at how he's described in the passage that we read today in verse 24. He's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. Now we're going to go into some of the qualities that made him an excellent encourager. But the first thing that we need to do is have a look at being full of the Holy Spirit and being full of faith. Because those two things are key to us becoming sons and daughters of encouragement. 
unless you're filled with the Spirit, being a good person is just not good enough to make you a son or a daughter of encouragement. We need to learn how to press into God and be encouraged by Him. And of course, the way that we do that is by being aware of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. So how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? And I know that we've spent a lot of time towards the end of last year, and I would just like to recap very briefly. But if you want to go into that in more detail, go back to those sermons that we preached towards the end of last year. They're still there on the website. But three things, very briefly. If we want to be a son or daughter of encouragement, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? We need to be controlled by the Spirit. We need to be aware of the Spirit. And we need to be empowered by the Spirit. So I'm just going to look very briefly at those. First of all, controlled by the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5 verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he's saying that there's something about being drunk and being filled with the Spirit that is the same. What is it? Somebody who gets drunk on alcohol engages in a, in a fairly slow process. It's an intentional process of handing over control of his body to alcohol. That's what happens when you get drunk. You have one drink and you start to feel the effect of it. You have another drink. And before you know it, you have lost control of your body to alcohol. You can't walk straight, so on and so forth. So if you want to be controlled by the Spirit, you need to go through the daily process of handing over control of your life to the Holy Spirit. Why do we need to do that in order to be encouragers? Well, if you're controlled by fear, are you going to be an encouraging person? Absolutely not. If you're controlled by anxiety, are you going to be an encouraging person? No. What about anger? There's something so discouraging about another person who is giving vent to their anger. Not that anger is a bad thing, but if they're handling it in the wrong way, it's just discouraging. And so we need to make sure that we are controlled by the Holy Spirit because that'll be the start to being an encouraging person. So that's the first one. Second of all, being aware of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God within the walls of your life. That's who the Holy Spirit is. You know that we serve one God in three persons. The person of God that is in you is the, is the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be constantly and acutely aware of His presence in your life. Let me give you an example of this. When I was a, a kid, and then even as I grew older as, uh, to become a teenager, um, my grand and grandpa used to come and stay with us from time to time. And my brother and I just absolutely loved my grand and grandpa because they were such wonderful people. So when they came to stay, we always wanted to spend time with them. We wanted to hear what they had to say. We wanted to play with them. I can remember playing darts with my grandmother. Um, it, was, it was a wonderful time, and it changed our behavior. My brother and I behaved a lot better when my grand and grandpa were around. And it's not because we weren't being genuine. It's just simply that all of those little niggles that we used to have about who would get into the bath first or who would get to do this first or that first, it just faded into insignificance because we wanted to make sure that we were good hosts of our grand and grandpa. 
And that is a picture of what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We become so acutely aware of this person who's in our life that we're communicating with him all the time. We're hanging on his every word. We're saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say in this situation? How do you want to encourage me so that I can be an encouragement to other people? So controlled by the Spirit, aware of the Spirit, and then thirdly, empowered by the Spirit. Let me tell you that it is impossible for you to be a son or a daughter of encouragement if you are not being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because it's just so, it's so overwhelming, the, the situations that we face. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was talking about sending the Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Luke 24, verse 49, he said that the disciples would be clothed with power from on high. So when you're full of the Spirit, you're, you become aware of that power. You, you become aware of it working within you. When I'm sitting down to write a sermon, I always want it to be an encouraging sermon. And as I'm doing it, I start to become aware of the Spirit of God empowering me to be an encouraging person. And it's the same for all of us. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be aware of this amazing person who's living here within the walls of our life. So that's the first thing that Barnabas did. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that he was full of faith. Now, just as a person who's filled with the Spirit is controlled by the Spirit, so a person who's controlled, filled with faith is controlled by faith. And this is essential to encouragement. Let me tell you why. If I want to encourage myself, then I need to discover the hope that is held out to me by the gospel. Isn't that right? Because the gospel is truth. <coughs> so I go and I look in God's word and I speak to the Holy Spirit and I find out what I can put my hope in. And that hope is always based on the promises of God. It can't be based on the promises of people. Now here's the thing. Something is a hope or a promise because it ha we haven't realized it yet. We have to put our faith and our trust in it. And that's why, as Christians, we need to be people of faith. Because otherwise, we're not going to be people of hope. The way we encourage people is we point them to the hope of the gospel, the promises of God. And then those things are appropriated by faith. And folks, this is the reason why when Satan attacks us, he almost invariably does it through fear. Because fear is exactly the opposite of faith. And when we're afraid, we can't trust, we can't lay hold of the promises of God and the hope that he's given us in the gospel. That's why we need to be full of faith. So full of the Spirit, um, controlled by him, aware of him, empowered by him. Full of faith. Let's move on now to the next, which is that he was a good man, the third one. So we've established the importance of being filled with the Spirit and with faith. Let's get to know Barnabas just a little bit better. Let's see what the effect of being filled with the Spirit and faith had on him. And just uncover some of the qualities of what it means to be a child of encouragement. So first of all, let's have a look at the characteristic, uh, at him being exemplary. There's four things I want to look at. First of all, exemplary. Barnabas was from the priestly tribe of Levi. 
and he came from the island of Cyprus. He's first mentioned in Acts 4, verse 36 and 37. And at the time, he was living in Jerusalem. So I'd just like to read from verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So what do we learn from this? Because Barnabas was full of genuine faith, he was a man of exemplary action. That's because we all know it, actions speak so much louder than words. If you want to encourage your children, if you want to encourage your wife, your work colleagues, your community, then express your faith through actions, through exemplary actions. Set an example. If you have different beliefs to your neighbor, if you've got a greater hope than your work colleague, then your life should look different to his your actions will be different by his because they will be shaped by different beliefs. But it's the exemplary actions that point back to the beliefs which ultimately point to God. There's further evidence of Barnabas being an exemplary man in the passage that we read uh, before the sermon. The church in Antioch obviously recognized Barnabas as being worthy of trust because they chose him along with Paul to take their gift to those suffering in Jerusalem. So it would have been a substantial gift of money that they were taking back, traveling all the way down to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas could have plundered it. They could have just disappeared off the face of the earth with all that money. But the people in Antioch knew, they got to know, these were men of their word. These were men whose actions reflected their beliefs. So first of all, exemplary. Second of all, courageous. And I just, I just love the fact that Barnabas was courageous. Uh, let's rewind a little bit. Saul was the most dangerous persecutor of the early church. He just left Jerusalem. He's headed off on a trip to go and hunt down Christians in another part of the country. And the apostles have heaved a sigh of relief because whilst he's traveling, he's not going to be a menace to the church. But what's going to happen when he reaches Damascus? And I'm sure that was on everybody's mind. Is he going to destroy the work that God has been doing there? But the amazing thing is that Paul, or Saul, gets converted. But the apostles thought that it was an elaborate trick. Wouldn't it have been so clever of, of Saul to pretend to be a Christian, to go back to Jerusalem, find out who all the leaders of the church were, find out where they lived, find out their habits, so that he could arrest them and throw them into prison as well. So let's take up the story in Acts 9, verse 27. When Saul came to Jerusalem, 
he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which is where he originally came from. It's just inconceivable to imagine what Christianity would have been like without the contribution of the Apostle Paul. And all of that hinged on whether the disciples in Jerusalem would accept him and allow him to move into the anointing and to the omission that God had called him to. And it all happened because Barnabas was courageous. He went and made an effort to find out what was going on. And he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to discern that Saul was genuine. And so he comes and he commends him. Folks, if we want to be people of encouragement, we need to show that kind of leadership. We need to have courage. I don't know if you remember that uh, part in um, Braveheart where William Wallace is, is talking and he says, people do not, or men do not follow title, they follow courage. And that's, that is the case. Folks, if we want to be encouragers, what we need to do is we need to exhort people to go in a particular direction. We need to exhort them to put, them, put their belief in, a, in certain hopes. And the way that we do that is by leading them into those things through being courageous ourselves. So he was exemplary, he was courageous, but you know you can have those two qualities and you can still be a lamentable encourager. And that's because we need to be real. So suppose someone's feeling discouraged about the situation in Zimbabwe and they come to me and I say, you know what, you don't need to be discouraged. Don't worry about it. The Bible says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so by next year, things will have turned around in Zimbabwe. Everything will have gone back to the way it was in the 90s. Don't worry, be encouraged. Would that be the right way to encourage people? No. It's because it's a distortion of scripture and it's not based on the truth. It's based on a false hope. So when we hold out hope to people, we need to do it in a real way. We need to be realistic and honest. We need to, in a sense, um, disabuse people of their false hopes and their false beliefs. Now there's a certain time for us to be doing that and this is where we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit and sensitive to it. There's times when people don't need to hear Look, I don't think things are going to change in a hurry. Or consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> you know, there's times when we just need to come aside next to somebody and just put our arm around with them and cry with them, take them a meal, help them to get their school uniforms ironed, whatever it happens to be. But there is also a time when we need to be saying the truth. And... 
and pointing people in the direction of genuine, real hope. What does Peter say? He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can hold out living hopes to people, not dead hopes, not things that are just going to disintegrate in their hands. So let's just look at two references to real encouragement from the life of Barnabas. The first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas went on took them to three different towns in what is today Turkey. Uh, They went to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. This is another Antioch in a a place called Psidia. Psidia. (laughs) So Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, they didn't spend a lot of time there because as soon as they started to preach the gospel, they were hammered by really severe persecution. In fact, in Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. But they didn't actually finish him off. So let's just take up the the story in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. Acts 14, 21 to 23. So they've they've been to um, Iconium, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They're now in a place called Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. So they didn't come, as you can see there, with sort of flaky hopes. No, they were real. They didn't play down the reality that it is through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And I just think of Reg Hobbs. It's been 18 months of being sick in bed, not being able to get out of bed, being pretty much alone, a couple of visitors a week, um, battling with pain in his back and in his neck. The Lord didn't choose to take him out of that pain and that suffering, but he did, did, did deliver him through it. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. And God was faithful to take him through it. He's gone to be with the Lord now, and he's rejoicing in heaven. But also, can you also see there that at the same time, they they strengthened the souls of the new Christians. They taught them what the true hopes were that they needed to put their faith in. They taught them what the true promises were. And they also did real practical work by organizing the structure and the leadership of the churches so that they would thrive as centers of encouragement. I just pray that we would be a church uh, of people that are exemplary, courageous, and also real in our encouragement of others. And then we come to the last quality. There's many more, but the last one that we're going to look at today is humility. If we want to be encouragers, we need to be humble people. 
And to develop that quality, that quality of humility, we must become aware of other people. Makes sense, doesn't it? If we're not aware of other people, we're not going to be aware of what they're going through. We won't be able to come alongside them and help them when they need help. And it, it, is, it is being humble to order another person's needs above your own. So as we become aware of other people's needs, we're showing humility. And it enables us, it facilitates, the, it facilitates encouragement. Let's just um, revisit the, the passage that we read together before the sermon. Barnabas has been sent by the apostles um, in Jerusalem to encourage the new church in Antioch. Now many Gentiles have become Christians in Antioch and this was um, a first for the church because before then it was only Jews that had been becoming Christians. And whilst Barnabas, Barnabas was there, he must have remembered Paul's conversion and that Jesus had appointed Paul to the Gentiles. So what did he do? He headed off. He went and go and, to go and find Paul in Tarsus and brought him back to get him plugged in to his life's work. You see, if he hadn't been aware of Saul, if he hadn't made the effort to get to know Saul and what was the calling that Saul had on his life and where had he gone after he'd had to escape from Jerusalem, he wouldn't have been able to do that. But instead, he headed off, went and found him, encouraged him at the cost of his own time and his own energy. The other significant thing is that Barnabas was initially the leader in the partnership. And we know this because if you, if you read through Luke, uh, through Acts, which was written by Luke, you'll see that initially it talks about Barnabas and Paul. And then Luke changes the order to Paul and Barnabas. And it's intentional because as time went on and Paul uh, grew into his role, he took on the leadership position. Once again, humility allowing the people around us to reach their full potential in Christ. And that takes humility. We need to be able to be aware of other people, what God is doing in their lives, come alongside them and empower them and enable them to reach their full potential in Christ. And if we do that, we'll be encouraging people, whether it's for our own wives or husbands. That's where it all starts. We need to make sure that they are able to grow, our children, our colleagues, people around us. So being humble means being aware of others and helping them to reach their full potential in Christ. It also means coming alongside people when they need it. Now Barnabas had a nephew, uh, his name, not a nephew, a cousin. Uh, his name was John Mark. Um, it was actually Mark who ended up writing the Gospel of Mark that we find in our Bible. And when, when he wrote that gospel and he was describing the events when Jesus was arrested, he talked about a young man who tried to run away because he was afraid. And he was so keen to get away that even though one of the guards was holding his, his coat, his, um, his cloak, he wriggled out of it and ran away in his underpants. And so based on that, many, many Bible scholars believe that he was quite a timid and fearful person. Anyway, um, Barnabas decides to invite John Mark to come and join him and Saul on their first missionary journey. And it was a hard journey. And halfway through it, John Mark gave up and went home. And the, the, 
it's not explicitly said, but it's implied that it's because he just couldn't handle the pressures and the fear of being on the missionary journey and the persecution that they came under. Anyway, fast forward again. Uh, a second missionary journey is about to start with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas says, let's give John Mark another chance. Paul says, no ways. I'm not having that guy on my team because he gave up the last time. They have a big fight about it, and eventually they split up. In the end, it was for good because their, their efforts were actually split up in, in different areas, and Barnabas took uh, John Mark and headed off with him. But the significant thing is that later on in the Bible, in some of the letters that Paul writes, we find him sending his greetings to John Mark and saying, please send him to come and help me because he has become so useful to me in my ministry. John Mark reached his full potential because Barnabas came alongside him in a time of need. And, and I have to say that there are people that God has provided in my own life who've come alongside of me in times of need. One of them is, is Mark Robb. Mark Robb is a son of encouragement. And I just love the way he encourages me in, in, in the different initiatives that I'm involved in. Um, just coming alongside. Coming alongside. So folks, just in closing, would you, would you be prepared to be used of God as a, as a son or a daughter of encouragement? Would you be prepared to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Just allow Him to take control. Be aware of Him on a daily basis. Be empowered by Him. And then would you be full of faith? And the way I would encourage you to do that is as soon as you start to hear that little niggly voice of fear and anxiety, stop and think. <laughs> Don't allow it to control you. Allow faith to control you. Ask yourself, what promise is there that applies in this situation that is causing me to doubt God? What is the promise? Put your faith in it. And then be exemplary. Just allow those beliefs to be expressed in action. Action that is driven by faith. Be courageous. Be real and honest. Don't hold out false hopes to people. And then also be humble. Be aware of the needs of others. Come alongside of them. Allow them to reach their full potential even if it appears as though they're starting to eclipse you. Of course, nobody can eclipse you in the kingdom of God. We've all got different roles. We've all got different things that we do. We've just got to run in our own lane and honor and glorify God. So let's just stand together. I think it's good for us to, to just respond by, by standing. Um, I would just like to pray, first of all, for, and, and we're all going to pray together in agreement because that's, that's just what makes our prayer so powerful. If you, Jesus said, if one or more of you agrees on something on earth, um, it's bound on earth, it'll be bound in heaven and so on. So if, if, you, if you just need to be in that starting place where you're feeling discouraged and you need to find encouragement in God, um, that's where it starts. We need to be encouraged in God before we can be encouraged to others. And maybe you're just in that place. I think we've all been there from time to time, maybe more often than we would like to admit. Certainly the case for me. 
Let's just, let's just pray that God would start that process of encouraging you. So Father, here we stand before you. Um, there are people here who are feeling discouraged today. And they want to be encouraged. They want to be encouraged in you. And so, Father, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, your presence in their lives, that you would encourage them. We ask that you would give them an anointing of encouragement through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we also want to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can become encouragers, sons and daughters of encouragement. So if you would like to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit to enable you to encourage others. Let's ask for it now. Just Maybe just hold out your hands as a, as a, way, as a way of um, showing that you want to receive something from God. Father God, I pray that you would fill every person who wants to become a son or a daughter of encouragement with your Holy Spirit now. Fill them with an anointing of encouragement. We pray that you would control their lives. We ask that they would be acutely aware of you on a daily basis and that you would fill them right now and going forward into the week with the power that they need to be encouraged and to encourage. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.